0: He was smiling a lot. He was so cheerful. He was so happy. Um, he would connect and and you know talk with all of us. He would communicate with us. Uh, he doesn't. He does not verbal, but he is. He has his sounds that he will make to communicate with all of us. Uh, it was. It was fantastic. Life was just. Life was just fantastic.
1: My name is Kevin Fryert. On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra rare disorder known as setagatian type. Bondial Metaphysial Dysplasia, or SSMD. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold.
0: Nobody even knew what life for these kids looks like. And now we're, we're sitting there thinking, is my son going to be fine? Or is he going to be having a serious life-threatening condition? Or is he going to be disabled and having, having trouble all through his future? We don't really know. We actually did not cry, um, neither me and my wife, we, we did not cry uh, during the diagnosis at all. Because we just don't know what to expect and we're we're very optimistic in general. So we thought he'll be fine. After after the diagnosis, we, we just went back to doing what we were doing because we, you know, it never hit us. I I, I hear other people where they, they get the diagnosis and it you know it hits them right away. We are just so delayed in that we, it just never hit us at all.
1: You had adapted to to life with Raghav. over a year. You're celebrating his first birthday and and all of that was there and now that you had you know you knew what gene had a mutation in it didn't change what happened in that year and it didn't change what was going forward and it wasn't a because of the rarity of this particular mutation so it's gpx4 glutathione peroxidase 4 because of the rarity of it no one could give you what the trajectory looked like and now you found yourself, and I'm guessing this is where you probably started feeling that loneliness, is, hold it, no one's been where we are now. Because we're a year out, the only other documented cases were the first month of life. Um, so, so I can imagine, I can only imagine uh, the, how disorienting that would be, except that you were living with it already. you already had again connecting dots. you had been preparing by getting to know Raghav that that you know, having some scientific label put on it actually didn't change Raghav at all
0: it it did not. He was smiling a lot. He was so cheerful. He was so happy. Um, he would connect and and you know talk with all of us. He would communicate with us. Uh, he doesn't he does not verbal, but he is he has his sounds that he will make to communicate with all of us. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Life was just life was just fantastic.
1: So what are I always ask this of of parents and and sometimes even the, the younger patients. So what are his superpowers?
0: Smiling. He would get a blood draw, and he would scream through it for fifteen minutes and the moment i pick him up he would look at me he would show me make me fa- make faces saying i'm really unhappy and then he would start smiling that's incredible that's incredible his superpower is just smiling and and quite honestly that has been the best uh, the blessing in this guy's through this like like our suffering has actually not been much of a suffering at all because when we are with him he's smiling and laughing all the time so it to us he feels like he's a normal person but then, once we step out and and you know think actually think, then it's a it's a whole different um, emotional drain there. But you know, his superpower is smiling.
1: Well, and you just said something. You know, he thinks he's a normal person. Well, guess what? He is. He, he's his normal is his normal. My is my normal. Your normal is your normal. And we have all our own normals. But I think that what i've noted in working with lots of folks dealing with rare disease that those kids in there they're they're just wonderful human beings just like everyone else is and they have have their own little you know flaws and things they're going to have to deal with in life and and that's what we all have to do we all have our own flaws and things
0: everyone everyone has their flaws Exactly. Everyone has their flaws. Everyone uh, has their good and bad days and good and bad times.
1: So we went to the Global Genes Conference in September which would have been about a week, I guess, after your big fundraising day. And we had a great time. Salem Oaks wants to have a presence in rare disease. It's the place we like to work. Global Genes is the place to be to feel the family of people that are rare. There's just so many wonderful people there, and it's just such an uplifting experience. We had a great time. We had a a booth that we got. Lots of people coming by. In fact, one time during that, uh, there was a book signing going on by David Fagenbaum down the line, and people couldn't even get to our booth, but the people in line were were signing up for our website. It was great. I get home from Global Genes, and there's a, a direct message on Twitter for me. It said, I would like to talk to you. Um, my son has a mutation, and I tried to talk to you at Global Genes, and we just didn't connect. And so then we started talking a little bit through Twitter and exchanged emails and and got a little closer and finally got on the phone. And when you first told me the story, I didn't totally understand it. I thought you had just found out anything about your son, you know, his condition or that, that he, you know, just a month ago, we realized this. I didn't realize that it had been his full first year and and you had just gotten the data about what his uh, his specific missense u- mutation was but I, I was just flabbergasted by the progress you had made in a month and and it really actually was a month and then i you know you had you said you had well you got the global genes and you found me i thought most people with rare disease that takes them years to realize that community's there. So I thought that was outstanding. Then you talked about some of the things you had done and some of the the people you had talked to. And you were pulling all the right levers. This This was magical. It's like, how is this guy doing this? This is great. Because people struggle to find those resources, to understand those resources, put the pieces together. And now as we hear your story, Again, you were prepared by life to do that. And you were there. You know, you you had you had found it. So I just I was astounded. And then we talked probably a month later, and you gave me a little bit of an update. You shared a document that you had put together that we should talk about a little bit. The progress you had made in that next month was like, Yeah, so the foundation's going, you know, we've got we've got more uh uh, fundraising going on, and you've had put a board together, all of this stuff was in place, and you had this this document, which is a roadmap for the research that you want to do and then the biggest piece of news that was so cool was that you found three other kids that shared shared the mutation
0: yeah that's 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 it's luck. <laughs>
1: and and you're giving me a, you know a spot to say my definition of luck is when preparation meets opportunity and that's what happened here is is you were prepared and it wasn't lucky you were the one who asked the question you were the one who put the the funding request out there that went viral and that that drew other parents together so how did you see us meeting? how did it how did it work from your end?
0: So I, I have this um, idea uh, I'd been having this for a long time now that my thought process is shaped and it's probably not my idea too. My thought process by sh- is shaped by the people that I speak with. If I wanted to make a um, make something good in this in this space, If I wanted to fix my son's problems, then I need to be speaking to the right people that can get me the right direction. And another foundational uh, thought process that I always had was, yeah, I'm going up against a behemoth, right? I'm going up against the healthcare industry, a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar industry. So many players, big pharma, big big executives out there, big Nobel laureates out there that are making progress in science. And I'm sitting here, I don't even know what a gene is. Uh, and trying to make progress. A way to make progress when you are faced up against a really big hurdle um, is the David and the Goliath idea where you become so small and so fast that you move faster than the system that is big that cannot move fast. Yeah, they can crush you, but you can move faster. And and this is a pattern that I've learned from, from uh, software in the industry where you see startups that can crush big companies because they move faster. So I knew that I need to move fast, and that was the, that was the only advantage I had. Um, so that that I have to keep at it uh, if I have to make progress. And the second one is I try to talk to the right people. Uh, and, and once I talk to the first set of right people, they put me in touch with the next set of right people. Um, and I knew I had to talk to you because I, I, I really wanted to understand the whole what is this drug development thing. You worked at Pfizer, um, so you can give me a thing or two. From the beginning, um, even at Global Genes, and I want to come back to Global Genes, even at Global Genes, I had been asking the question that would absolutely make people go nuts. And I figured that's a good way to get the truth from people. When I, when I ask you a question, you can, you can respond with your brain or you can respond with your heart. And if you respond with your heart, you're responding with the truth. And because you don't have time to think, you're like instinctively responding so i started asking the question that um, i was sitting in the global genes um dining uh, area uh, for lunch and uh, the right next to me were two people who were who were consultants to pharma companies and they were talking about doing an rfp to the pharma and um, and helping them with the rfp process for enrolling people uh, for for getting new um suppliers and stuff they were talking about how the whole drug development industry works and And how people make money on the drug, how companies make money on the drugs and stuff like that. And I told them that I don't like this whole industry at all. Um, I don't like the fact that they make money on the drugs because, you know, with with a a rare condition with just one kid, who's going to make money on it? And so I'm just going to open source it. And I asked them, why, why are companies not open sourcing these things? I started also asking them, why do you need to send out requests or proposals to solicit to feedback? In software, you would, if you want to buy a product, you go to the website, you click, 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 put your credit card and you buy a product. Why is it just start like that? And I started asking questions that were so opposite to what they're used to thinking that they would give me the right answers. And I asked you that question was, was, was why is open source not a part of this? Why, I, why, cannot, why, why can't I just open up? And let the world help me. Let let scientists out there, anybody out there with some remote idea, of what I what what I'm trying to do, help me there. Uh, why I have to? Why should everything be behind the closed walls? Um, and and you had given me a lot of good details on why that's the case. And in our subsequent conversations, you explained to me what the drug development process works like, and where the where the real difficulty lies, and you know what the secret sauce of these companies looks like. Throughout throughout these conversations i'd been asking the I'd, I'd start by asking the absolute wrong question that is blasphemy that i 'm not supposed to ask. I'd ask that question, and then everything else will fall in place um, so that's uh, that 's how I started the conversation with you and it was it was really helpful actually. One of the first conversations that I had after Global Genes was with you I, I, I think it sort of set the direction for me going, going forward from there. Is is that I learned from you how open source is not necessary uh, for this to happen, for me to find a drug. But I asked you the question, why can't I just open source the drug and make it available to for free to every for anybody to use? What's stopping me from doing that? And you gave me the right answer that I wanted.
1: Well, I'm glad I I could give you good guidance and uh, that you found it truthful because we've just learned how how important that is. I. And I, I say thank you for, for even mentioning that. I do remember the first question you asked me, which was, what incentive does a company have or what are the incentives that drive these pharma companies? And it actually was not, it was a provocative question, but it was a very good provocative question. It wasn't, as it's often uh dated or or the framed. It's like, you know, why do these companies need to make so much money? No, that wasn't what you asked. You said, what are the incentives for finding new drugs? And and I believe in in, you know, just a short sound bite, it's well, the people who are working on it want to help patients to do that. They need to make they need to be funded. And the company's a vehicle for doing that. And company's vehicle for funding is is profit. So that's how the puzzle fits together for why, what are the incentives for companies? It's both just that, that driving need to help patients, but knowing that it is a business and therefore business, uh, business factors come in.
0: Yeah. So that, that was, our conversation was, was fantastic. And I have to emphasize on global genes. Um, So before I went to Global Jeans, I had reached out to a couple of rare disease people, uh, community people that are very similar to my me in my stage, and uh, they all told me go to Global Jeans. And one of them actually told me go to Global Jeans. So I said, oh yeah, this is this enrollment is cheap. It's not expensive. I love San Diego. It was happening in there. I love the sun there. I was studying there, so I'll go back to it. I felt like home when I was at Global Jeans and I, can, I i don't think anybody will understand the feeling like when i told before like it felt lonely to have a kid with a rare condition now i go to global genes i felt like i was in the right place at home I, everybody around it was a safe space where i can talk about my rare condition i i was not vulnerable or any more vulnerable than the other people were everybody had problems um, but they were you know going about their life and talking about it in conferences uh, it is nothing ashamed to be off. I mean, people are talking about it on the stage at a conference there, and they have a rare condition, or they're helping other people with a rare condition, and they are not ashamed about it. About it. I felt like home. I had a blast um, those two days. The, Global Genes is doing a phenomenal job at bringing these people together and and setting the stage for for these people to, you know, gel with each other. and And I I, I have this feeling that I should. Um, every 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 sort of global genes marks a milestone in um, in the rare disease industry, and I feel like the a, a new rare disease people will, will be mentioned at the next global genes. And I, I want I want to go to the next global genes to to meet these people and kind of see who these people are, what are they doing, what are they doing differently. I'm sure there is probably ten or hundreds of people similar to me that will show up there, and I want to understand and talk to them and see what they are up to and what. What 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 can we learn from people that are thinking about it afresh? Because I think there there is a lot to learn about the whole radices development from people that are that are forward than me. but There's also a lot to learn about from people that are before me uh, because they don't have the barriers to thinking; they can think free.
1: I think that feeling like home just opens up those floodgates of I do have thoughts about this, and. Someone will listen, and I think that that's a critical role. Now you'll be a like a global genes veteran, I guess, and you'll be there your second year and third year, and and it's that idea that of of listening to them creates a a uh, a validation that drives a lot of the progress that people are making because they realize someone is listening to me, someone's been there before, someone's actually helping me even though our situations are are similar but they're not the same and I think that's the whole why I am so passionate about rare diseases when you get into a group of people there's all sorts of mutations and and protein and, and dysplasias and all these things and they're all but you know what they may be rare but when you put them all together it's like they're all dealing with the same systemic problem And so that's what that's kind of that shared goal with with multiple objectives that just makes it wonderful to go to. And it is, it is a place that feels like home.
0: Yeah, I I hope the next time is also in San Diego. (laughs) I just love that place.
1: Yeah, it is a it's a wonderful place to go to to, if you're gonna go to a conference.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's it's a beautiful place with beaches and stuff. Um, I also remember um, Global Jeans was the place where I could test a lot of my ideas. Um, so the dining table experience that I talked about where I had asked a few people questions that drove them nuts. Um, I, I, had, I, I was able to test the waters uh, with some of my ideas there and I was also looking at different people and some of them are, are my role models. And some of them um, do activities that I, I I felt like were not as productive as I could, I could be. So, you know, you have a wide array of people and 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 again, going back to the people that you meet essentially shaped your thinking. You can find the right sort of people to meet at Global Genes and that'll shape your thinking going forward. I, I met a lot of people there. Um, I spent time with them. I understood what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing. I listened to talks that gave me New ideas. Uh, that's when I heard this term, gene therapy. I was like, I always thought therapy was was like something that you go to when your when your back is aching. I didn't know gene genes can also get a therapy. I thought it was like physical therapy. Anyway, um, so that's when I heard gene therapy and and started digging into that. At that point, when I went to Global Genes, I'd already had a sense of like a drug looks like. Um, This is just a chemical compound. But gene therapy is like taking a gene and putting it in the body and actually fixing the source code. You know, as a software engineer, you would think I'd be really excited about fixing the source code. But I was not. When I heard gene therapy, I was nothing but skeptical from the beginning. And, uh, it was, it, it, it's fascinating. It's probably just my, you know, if, if someone says I'm going to fix the software bug, I'm always skeptical. So that's probably why I was.
1: You can continue to follow Ragav's story next time on Raising Rare. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment in Cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org.